Welcome to Her Story, a retelling of the biblical narratives featuring women in scripture with Joanne Guarnieri Hagemeyer, Grace and Peace Joanne. In a series on kings and queens, Michal perhaps takes precedence as the first wife of whom many consider Israel's greatest king, David. She was the daughter of a king and the wife of a king. But instead of a queen's life filled with grandeur, Michal's marriage to David carries heavy heartache, many tears, and ends in sorrow. Each story in this series was originally produced as a YouTube presentation. Links to YouTube, Grace and Peace Joanne blog posts, and the books I've written are provided below. Embedded within the story of David, Israel's most beloved king, and of whom the Lord said was a man after God's own heart, is the tragic story of Michal, a Benjamite princess and daughter of King Saul. Her story begins in late Bronze Age Canaan. The 12 tribes of Israel were still in the throes of coalescing into a kingdom, and they were beleaguered by battle after battle with the powerful Philistines until representatives from across the tribes came to the prophet Samuel and insisted a king be found to lead them to victory. So Saul, the tallest, handsomest, and best-loved wealthy young son of a Benjamite family was crowned. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he routed them. He did valiantly and struck down the Amalekites and rescued Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. He was a success, but the war with Philistia waged wearily on until finally Goliath came forward with his famous challenge. In response, Saul produced a challenge of his own, saying, the king will greatly enrich the man who kills him and will give him his daughter and make his family free in Israel. David took up that challenge, but not for wealth, nor the hand of a princess. Rather, he fought for the honor of God's name in the might of God's divine power, and all Israel could not help but fall in love with this young, handsome, fiery shepherd and musician, and courageous warrior, including, it seems, Saul's youngest daughter, Michal. In Michal's story, we meet a young woman in love who soon becomes courage itself in her quick-witted rescue of her husband. But as the years go by, she becomes an abandoned wife given to another man, and then a political pawn, and finally the outraged and rejected queen. Where was God in all this? Had God rejected Saul's family on Saul's behalf? Or is there a whisper of hope in an otherwise bleak tale of objectification and abuse? We begin with the princess in love, and it seems David had already long been a part of Saul's larger household as he had been brought in by concerned servants to soothe Saul's soul with his exceptionally beautiful music. And the young shepherd, who had already secretly been anointed as God's next king, was brought to the troubled king. David's hauntingly lovely music, inspired by God, would eventually soothe the turmoil of Saul's dark travail. And soon after David's defeat of Goliath, Saul's son Jonathan, the crown prince of Israel, had pledged everlasting love to this young shepherd. And David became a part of Saul's household in a permanent basis. All Israel rang with David's praises. But even as David became more beloved, Saul became ever more jealous and began to try to kill his rival. 
Saul removed from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And David marched out and came in, leading the army. David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for it was he who marched out and came in, leading them. Growing frustrated, Saul sought another tactic, entice David to stay on the front lines by giving him a princess to marry. The idea intrigued David, but it seems the arrangement fell through. But Saul's daughter Michal loved David, and Saul was told, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul sought David out, and he said to him a second time, You shall be my son-in-law. Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private, and say, See, the king is delighted with you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants reported these words to David in private, and David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, seeing that I'm a poor man and of no repute? And the servants of Saul told him, This is what David said. Now here's the snare. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no marriage present except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged on the king's enemies. Now Saul planned to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, David was well pleased to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David rose and went along with his men and killed one hundred by two of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michal as a wife. But when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that Saul's daughter Michal loved him, Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy from that time forward. It was to be the happiest moment of her life, marrying the darling of all Israel. Just as the Lord was with David, so was Michal. Her love for David was so profound, so deep and abiding, so full-hearted, that Saul felt even more threatened. And David's pleasure did not come in having Michal for his wife, but rather in becoming the king's son-in-law. Soon they would be parting in haste. At first, their life together must have seemed very romantic, celebrated, enchanting as any fairy tale. As often as David battled with the Philistines, he would return more successful and famous each time, and as was the custom of her day, Michal must have run out after every victory with her servants and the women of David's estate to celebrate him in song. For Michal had moved from the palace to live with David at his own homestead among the beautiful rolling hills of Bethlehem and Judah. But for each highly acclaimed triumph, King Saul's mood blackened further until he began to talk with his servants about a practical way to slay David. Jonathan found a way to protect his beloved friend, but finally Saul sent soldiers to David's home with the express command to kill on sight. It was now the Princess Michal would have her finest moment. Michal was in many ways her father's daughter. She was tall and powerful, intelligent and majestic, but she loved passionately and she protected 
fearlessly. She was able to outthink and outmaneuver Saul's every ugly move. Saul sent messengers to David's house to keep watch over him, planning to kill him in the morning. And David's wife Michal told him, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michal then took the teraphim and laid it on the bed, and she put a net of goat's hair on its head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He's sick. And then Saul sent the messengers to see David for themselves. He said, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers came, the teraphim was in the bed, with the covering of goat's hair on its head. Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me like this and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? Michal answered Saul. He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Clearly, Michal had taken pains to stay well connected with the palace, for her eyes and ears there told her of Saul's secret plan. With courage, quick thinking, and creativity, Michal immediately devised a plan and relayed it to her husband. But David instantly and implicitly trusted her assessment of their situation and quickly complied with her strategy, says a lot about her. Many echoes of heroic women come to mind in this part of her story. Like Rahab, she was physically strong to lower her husband out of the window and to haul a life-sized teraphim, which was usually made out of metal-plated wood or clay or stone, into their marriage bed. And again, like Rahab, Michal misdirected the king's men when they came asking for David. Just as Rebekah disguised her son Jacob with goat hair, so also Michal cleverly disguised the figure to appear as David. And it was a subterfuge that sent the servants back to the king. And when questioned point blank, Michal showed the same courageous defiance Pua and Shifra showed when they lied to Pharaoh, just as the midwives told a tale they were certain Pharaoh would accept because of his low opinion of Hebrew people, so now Michal told her father what she felt certain he would believe, considering his low opinion of David. Many have wondered about this teraphim that Michal rested into place. What did it mean? Was she an idolater? Well, remember, this was David's bedroom, in David's home, on David's estate. Whatever it was, it can't have been there without David's express authority, and scholars really can go no further in surmising what this thing was. Now, David and Michal were apart, and as the weeks grew on to months and years, David made the effort to secretly meet with Jonathan, but never his wife. And then while in the same rolling hills of Judah, David sent word to Abigail to come to him, while his own wife, Michal, languished alone on his estate. David sent and wooed Abigail to make her his wife. When David's servants came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. She rose and bowed down with her face to the ground, and she said, Your servant is a slave to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail got up hurriedly and rode away on a donkey. Her five maids attended her. And she went after the messengers of David and became his wife. And David also married Ahinoam of Jezreel. Both of them became his wives. It was not until David had made it clear he would not send for Michal that King Saul gave his daughter in marriage to another, as had actually been the custom in that region for a thousand years. Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Palti, son of Laish, who was from Galim.
The narrator had placed David's marriages first in a hint of tacit disapproval. Even though David's life was in constant peril, even though he had fled for his life, and even though he was now living as an exile, he still had been able to meet with Jonathan safely. He still had been able to safely send for Abigail. He still could safely keep two wives in the wilderness. There was little question David had abandoned the wife of his youth. And Michal must have been devastated and humiliated. The laws of the three empires leading up to David's time had taken care to provide for women whose husbands had been forcefully ejected from the land and were living either as exiles or as prisoners. In the 19th century BC Mesopotamia, the laws of Eshnunna said, if a man has been made prisoner during a raid or an invasion or has been carried off forcibly and dwelt in another land for a long time, another indeed took his wife and she bore son. Whenever he returns, he will take back his wife. The law of Hammurabi also cites a similar law, adding that whatever children are born will stay with their respective fathers. And the Middle Assyrian laws have similar and more detailed case law concerning the same basic premise. Of particular note is that the woman's father is no longer obligated by social or moral codes to provide for this daughter who's now become the wife of another man. She must either be taken care of by her father-in-law and his household, or she must remarry. But it seems Jesse and his sons did not come to Michal's aid, so she was abandoned. She was alone. She was without sons of her own to help her, and with no assistance from her in-laws, there was nothing left but to have the king give her in marriage to someone who could take care of her. And it seems Paltiel, an apparently godly man, had not only been willing, but come to love his princess. With her came David's estate, for it can be surmised that her father-in-law was indeed gone, and there were no brothers either available or willing to honor the Leveret law. And now Paltiel was able to care for her. Not hailed as a hero or as any person of note, Paltiel's movement must have been upward with his royal liaison, but Michal's was pointedly downward. Yet we can surmise their years together were quietly contented, and time went by. But then, in quick succession, Saul and all but one of his sons, including the celebrated Jonathan, were killed in battle. David was crowned king in Judah, and a bitter civil war broke out as David sought to unify the northern tribes with the southern. Abner, the commander-in-chief of Saul's armies, had crowned Saul's one remaining son, Ishbael, also known as Ishbosheth, as Israel's king, and many were loyal to Saul's son until Abner allied with David. Abner sent messengers to David at Hebron, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and I will give you my support to bring all Israel over to you. He said, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, you shall never appear in my presence unless you bring Saul's daughter Michal when you come to see me. And then David sent messengers to Saul's son, Ishbael, saying, Give me my wife Michal, to whom I became engaged at the price of 100 foreskins of the Philistines. Even though God's law expressly forbade a man remarrying his wife once she'd been married to another man, this ancient law of Hammurabi held strong. 
Eshbael had to follow the long-held custom or risk marking himself as a ruler willing to undermine the accepted social order and moral obligation of their culture. He had to show himself as a king who preserves the law and keeps society in balance, even when it hurt him politically. David's motivation, though not stated, seems clear. He wanted the civil war to end. He wanted Israel to be unified under his rule, and having Saul's daughter at his side would be politically astute. So Ishbael sent and took her from her husband Paltiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, weeping as he walked behind her all the way to Bahurim. And then Abner said to him, Go back home. So he went back. There was nothing Paltiel could do. But the narrator made sure every reader knew that David took another man's wife by a technicality of ancient law. It would be a prophetic statement of what would come in the story of Bathsheba. And for Michal, there would be no prospect of honor. So we trace the wounding of a young girl's soul in this now middle-aged woman. She had loved David with her whole heart and then risked everything to protect him from her own father. She even defied King Saul to save her husband. But David had not returned her fervor. Instead, he had wooed another woman, Abigail, who lived not far from where Michal waited longingly for word from her husband. Now abandoned and without anyone from David's family to help her, she was given into marriage of necessity. Yet it seems this second marriage became a contented one, perhaps even a happy and loving union. But it was not to last. Michal's contented marriage was torn apart, collateral damage in Israel's civil war. And now technically she had become queen, the first wife among wives, but a stranger in her new home. David, on the other hand, was ecstatic. He became king of the whole land, and now the ark would be brought to Jerusalem, his new capital city. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. And then all the people went back to their homes. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel has honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants' maids, as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly uncover himself. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord, who chose me in place of your father and all his household to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, that I have danced before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I'll be abased in my own eyes. But by the maids of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal 
the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Was Michal perhaps trying to protect David once more, this time from unseemliness now that he was a king? Or was her heart so broken she saw only the women and servants ogling David's nearly naked body rather than David's joy before the Lord? David gave her no sympathy. Rather than accepting her criticism, he flung it back in her face. King Saul, her father, was the loser. God loved and had chosen David, and David would do as he pleased. He might be even more contemptible in her eyes, but the maids she was so jealous of, oh, they would like what he did next. It has been debated whether Michal had no children because David never offered her a conjugal visit. Maybe. Notice the narrator did call her daughter of Saul rather than David's wife at this point. Certainly, it was God's judgment against Saul that his whole house would die away. God had said to Saul through Samuel, You have not kept the command of the Lord your God that he gave to you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. Part of God's judgment meant Michal would never have children, not as punishment on Michal, but as fulfillment of prophecy. And if there's something I can learn from Michal's life, it's that misfortune is not necessarily a reflection of God's displeasure. Sometimes, even people like David, a man after God's own heart, can do wrong things. I like to think Abigail, in her grace and humility and wisdom, may have extended care towards Michal, who had lost everything dear to her. And that when Michal was gathered to the Lord, she experienced the promise God gives to all of us who put our faith in him. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The Lord will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more, mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for those first things have passed away. If Michal's love match ended in tears, and she leaves the pages of scripture in a marriage that broke her heart, Abigail's story in the Hebrew Bible's narrative of kings and queens begins in a difficult marriage and ends with a hope of a better life.